0: Oh, I was looking for that theme music, I love that, right, it's almost like you're getting ready to open the credits, that's okay, that's alright, um, that was really beautiful, seeing um, Kai, Riley, Avery on stage leading worship, so we came to this church nine years ago, uh, Kai was, was three, uh, Cadence was, was on the way, uh, and Kenley wasn't quite a thought yet, um, and I was talking to Justin, I said, was well, this intentional that we had them, you know, leading worship? He was like, well, the Lord, I said, okay, well, of course, God, that's the right answer, right? We all know that, but I didn't know if there was, like, some sort of coordination. that we would talk about Miriam, a woman leading worship, and then to have these, anyway, it's, it's a lot. So uh, just bear with me here, people. This is going to be a, I have six pages here, single space, so we might be here a little bit, even I'm going to be mindful of, of lunch. Um, my name is Chris, and so it's my privilege to, to be before you all today. Well, we've been in a series where we we're talking about the matriarchs of the faith, uh, looking at at women in the Old Testament in particular. And so I have uh, an opportunity to talk about Miriam today. Uh, we talked about uh, some other really important people so far. So you should go back and listen to the series, right? You can get a much better sort of summary than I can offer you in this in these these 90 seconds or so. Um, but Miriam is, is is really intriguing to me because um, she's part of the Exodus story, and and, and for the, the few times I've had a chance to to, to preach here, talk at, at Love Chapel Hill. A lot of them are surrounded. Uh, the story of Exodus is something that really resonates with me and, uh, and maybe some of you in the room as well. I don't think it's unique to me. Uh, so what I want to do is I have two um, verses I'm going to read to us and then I'll have some other uh, passages of Scripture that I'll refer to and uh, we'll, we'll go from there, okay? So Exodus 15, 20, and 21, if, you, if you'd like to go there. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam saying to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. So this broader chapter here in Exodus, I don't know if it's—if you all have your Bibles out or not, um, is referred to as the Song of Moses and Miriam. I started at verse 20 intentionally, uh, and you all throughout this this passage, as I was was preparing this week, I made an effort to to make Miriam the focal point, to make her the center, as opposed to being on the margins, which is really the story of her life, which I'll I'll unpack throughout today's uh, message. But the first verse opens with, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, and then it goes on for a while, actually to verse, all the way to verse 19, and then we have this, these two passages, these two verses I read to you from Miriam. And the verse 22 begins. Then Moses, and that's how the chapter ends. Okay. So Miriam is highlighted in a mere two verses, which I think is really telling. Despite being described as a prophet and despite being a leader, she receives far less attention than do her brothers. She's overshadowed by her brothers. So when I think about Miriam, I look at her and I say, well, Miriam is a woman whose people group was oppressed. And I find that to be compelling in part because some of the research that I do actually concerns and centers black women political elites. And one of the things that I found in doing my work is there have been about 11,000 individuals who have ever served in the halls of Congress, either in the House or the Senate. And out of those 11,000 or so, only 52 have been black women. That's less than half a percent. Now, I should have give you all more time to do the math. Shit, now that's not fair to throw that denominator out there and then the numerator. Right? It's awful. Right? It's abysmal. They're, they're almost the same number of United States as there are as there have been black women who've ever served in Congress, and only two have ever served in, in the United States Senate, the, the more esteemed chamber. So uh, a group that this is a group black women that's, that's grossly uh, underrepresented is, is one way to 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 to, re- to react to that fact. And so if we take a broader step back, right, and we look at, at women as a whole, so not just in the political sphere, but just in our society, this is true at the, in the time of Miriam, and it's still true today, unfortunately, um, generally lacking power. Okay? And this is true because we're in a world that's characterized by, that is shaped by patriarchy. And so not only are women affected by this, but then women of color are, are doubly so because of their racial identity. So one of the reasons why I really got interested in this whole topic, and don't worry, I'll get back to Mary in a second, people. I gotta I have to set this up, so y'all, I, I, just bear with me here, I'll come give you some background. There's um, so all the stuff I think is useful. Uh, I earned a certificate in women's studies when I was an undergraduate at, at St. Louis University. Also known as SLU, we have this really weird mascot that's a Billiken, it's like this pagan figure for a Catholic school, don't ask me why, okay? Y'all can look into it, I think it was some football coach who used to look like a Billiken, anyway. I, I, I think, okay, but anyway, I digress. Uh, so I earned a certificate in women's studies, and before you give me too much credit, right, I was a, a younger man at that time, and let's just say my motives weren't the most pure in terms of wanting to take these courses. <laughs> but here's the wonderful thing about how God can redeem, right, and, and, and shape us. It fundamentally shaped, it fundamentally shifted my worldview, all right, and that's one of the reasons why I feel very, very strongly about patriarchy, which you'll see here in a second. I'll, I'll unpack that. Uh, but, but one of the many classes that I took uh, as part of earning this certificate was a literature class, and, and I really enjoyed this class, um, I read Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye, which if you haven't read, it's just a brilliant book, really, really, really incredible book. Uh, And and also in this course, we read a book called Wide Sargasso Sea. I don't know if you all have ever heard of of Wide Sargasso Sea. And um, what it does is it's a different take on a character that's marginalized in, in the famous book Jane Eyre, written by one of the Bronte sisters. What Wide Sargasso Sea does is it takes a character, a Creole woman, who really, I think, spends most of her time in the attic, all right, and I think she's seen as being like unstable, mentally unstable, and so forth, but uh, it, it tells the story from her perspective. So in Jane Eyre, she's just, oh, this Creole woman, and she, we don't really hear much about her. What we do hear about her is problematic. Or she right? She's not really portrayed in, in the most glamorous light. But this story of Wise to See is her story. It centers around this Creole woman. And again, I love that, I'm like, oh, I love this type of literature. I love uh, the uh, things that, uh, I love that. I don't know how else to put it. Um, so when I think about Miriam, this is how we get back to Miriam, okay, is, is here's someone who's on the margins, right, out of this whole chapter where it's a song of Moses and Miriam. Let me remind you, that's what the title of the chapter is. She gets two verses where she's, she's the focal point. And yet I think if we, it takes us a little bit of work, right, I think maybe reading this, maybe as we read in a literature class, to really kind of think about, okay, it's only two verses, but what can we glean, right? What can we learn from, from, from Miriam, and then also we have to look in other parts of Scripture to hear about her story as well. Okay, so back to those two verses, and again I'm helping you all kind of understand how I read and thought about Miriam this week. A lot of this is informed by my own background and, and my own my own trade my own training. Okay, that's that's why I told you that. So it, to me it's interesting to think about how her role as a leader in worship, right? Um, for some people it could be portrayed in terms of this is her rightful place, this is the this is where she has authority. Right, it's only limited in this realm uh, uh, of worship, and I think for some people it's easy to say, "Oh, you know, women can women can lead worship, and they can maybe will, you know lead children's ministry, but when it comes to the authority to preach God's word, that's that's where the line should be drawn." So thank God not all people think this. I have to make sure y'all. I want y'all to think, where is Chris going? Obviously, in Love Chapel Hill, if you haven't been here before, we are not a church that, that believes that. And thank God that that's the case. But, good people, when we take a look around and we see how, as a whole, women are not empowered in the church, it is infuriating and truly tragic. So uh, Sam Schmidt, who's also part of this, this teaching team, uh, put a survey uh, on my radar last summer. And it had to do with, like, the church and congregations and things like that. And, and I love data. You all may have picked up on that with the whole 11,000, 52 out of 11,000 stat. And um, I looked through this, uh, the data set, and one of the things that's just, it's been stuck with me ever since is that it had data on the proportion of clergy that are male. And I should have us do a guessing game, shouldn't I? A little bit of like give and take. There'll be an opportunity for participation later. All right, so I'm just gonna tell you what the number is. 90% of clergy were male in the survey. Now, I can't see that well, because the lights are blinding me, so I don't know how you all are reacting out there, so I'm just gonna keep talking here. Feel free to react, people. I'm not gonna force you to, but feel free to. I'm okay with that. 90%. Men are not 90% of the population. So this is so far from parity. Women are so underrepresented in positions of leadership. Wow. That's staggering. That is maddening to me. So I'm not sure how you feel about the term patriarchy, which is kind of, if I had like a subsection of my sermon, this would be called patriarchy. Maybe I should have told you all that, but I didn't put any subheadings in, in, the, in the passage. I just wrote, I wrote a lot of things down. Um, you might have different feelings about the word patriarchy, all right? As I think about it, as a, as a male, as someone who, until I went to college... Right? I told you I didn't have the purest motivations when I started taking women's studies classes, but along the way, I realized, oh my gosh, I've been privileged by this thing my whole life, and I didn't even realize it. The fact that I didn't realize it didn't change the fact that I was privileged by it, by the way. But I had no clue. No clue at all. And so I think as a male, as someone who benefits from patriarchy, it's important that I actually kind of sit with the gravity of the term. And this isn't just because I have daughters or because I grew up with three sisters or because I'm married to a, a wonderful, amazing, compassionate, strong, beautiful person, Tiana, woman, um, or because I have a surrogate mother back in Iowa who was a pastor at the church where Tiana and I met, or not just because I study women in politics. All right? I think sometimes I get too much credit for like caring about patriarchy because of those things. And I had a friend tell me a while back, like, wait, Chris, why why do you care about it just for those reasons? Shouldn't you just care because you're a human and you care about, right, these matters of justice? And and I thought, wow, that's really smart. I need to rethink this. So here's my point, folks. Um, As a human being, (laughs) as a person who professes to be a Christian, as a person who follows Jesus, I think it's important that I call out patriarchy for the problematic thing that it is and that I work to undermine it in whatever way I can. And here's the tricky part, okay? You all going to learn more. You always learn something about me up here, don't you? But um, although I'm a person who who is inclined to seek praise when I do something, it's a it's a bad habit. I'm not proud of it, people. I'm I'm trying to work against it, okay? But I like I like to get credit. I don't know. It's 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 true. I'm I'm working on it. I need to be able to do this. I need to be able to call out patriarchy, right, without expecting a pat on the back, without expecting to be lauded for speaking up, without getting a sticker, right, Or, or 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 somehow to be rewarded for it. So I think it's up to all of us, especially those of us, who are, those of us who are privileged by patriarchy, to actively work against it. Okay, now let's get back to, let's get back to Miriam. I'm like, Chris, when were you going to get back to those 20 and 21? So we're, we're, we're there, okay? But I, I needed to say those things. because so I, I think it's important for me to say, and I think also it helps us better understand Miriam and her portrayal in Scripture. All right, let's dig more into what these two verses tell us. She is referred to as a prophet, which is a huge deal. I have huge in caps in my message here. That's why I have to say it that way. It's not common in Scripture for women to be described this way. She leads to women in song. She leads in worship. And she does so with a timbrel, an instrument that we could think, an instrument for joyous occasions. And I'm wondering, folks, as you're reading this, and again, try to use your imaginations here with me, right? Can you picture them dancing? I should give you a little bit more context, shouldn't I? So think about the scenario again, because I just read to you all from 15. So I may think, well, Chris, what happened in the previous previous chapters, right? So what happened is 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 that Miriam is leading worship on the hills of one of the most important events in the history of her people. And then what's easily the most important event, I think, for the lives of the people with her at that time. God delivering them from Egypt, from slavery, an institution that crushed people. And something that that it was all that generations had known. So, whether we want to define a generation as 50 years or 20 years, and it turns out people like to argue about how to define things. If we go to scripture, what we see is is that the people in Israel, I'm sorry, the Israelites were in Egypt for 430 years. So, no matter how you cut it, people, generation upon generation upon generation upon generation, all they knew was that experience. Okay? And yet, God liberated them. I think, you know, we as people in the third decade of the 21st century, I think we struggle to really grasp what what slavery meant to those who who were enslaved. And not just black people in the U.S., although that is what I'm getting at, so I should just say that directly instead of mincing words, right? (laughs) But enslaved people everywhere. Now some of us get it. There's variation where we are, right? So I'm really passionate about it and and think about... um, now, human trafficking, right? So I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But I think generally speaking, if you look at public opinion and you look at the, what people prioritize and, and the extent to which people could really grasp like what that meant, I think it was hard for us to do because we're so far removed from it, right? And at least here in the case of, of the Israelites. So here's the point I wanna make, folks. It was an institution that was crushing. There was, no way, there was no way out of it, okay? No amount of resilience or grit or self-determination could free a slave from their master. So God intervened for his people, hearing their cry. And on the other side of this, we see Miriam playing a key role in the singing of this song on this joyous occasion of God liberating her people. So I talked a bit here about authority and whether women can preach and how there's variation of that in Christianity. At least that was what I was trying to say. And so one of the things I think is interesting is I want to look at this a little differently as well. Is that What I don't want to say is I don't want to dismiss worship as somehow... Unimportant. I definitely don't want to somehow minimize the role of children's ministry. Oh my goodness! Please don't hear that, people. That's not my point. All the ways in which we can serve the church, right, are important. But what I'm trying to do here is, this is a device I I try to use sometimes in in teaching. Is what I'm trying to do is take something that people say is is minimal and unimportant and elevate it. So this is my effort here at at doing that. Okay. So um, I actually think leading worship is, is a sign of just how important. Miriam is. Instead of saying, oh, she wasn't like her brothers where they had, right, the high priest Aaron or Moses who, right, was really close with God. Again, Exodus tells this whole story, so you all can read that yourselves, right? But if we think about the fact that literacy rates vary, (laughs) that not everyone gets a mountaintop experience and encounters God in such a direct way. In other words, if we think about worship through song as something that is accessible, it's something uh, that allows us to deepen our faith and our connection with our Creator, with God, that I think it makes us realize that, oh my goodness, like Miriam is a, is a worship leader, right? It's not evidence of, of her secondary status or second-class citizenship or her being in her quote-unquote rightful place. No, instead, folks, this is a sign of just how important she was because people could participate in worship. They could sing songs. Not everyone could necessarily read, right? And again, at that point, actually, Moses hadn't gone up to Mount Sinai, so, right? but the point I want to say here and gotten the Ten Commandments, but my point is not everyone could read, right? Not everyone necessarily could be a high priest like Aaron was, but everyone could sing a song. So how about instead we think about the power of worship in terms of its ability to reach us all? And then thinking about Avery, Riley, Kaya, right, up here, I don't know. I know I was moved by, by seeing them and hearing them sing. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is I don't want us to read this passage. Just, oh, these are the only areas where women are called to lead. No, 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 no. I already, I already undermined that, hopefully. I hope you all remember me saying that, okay? Please, please remember that. Instead, right, let's, let, let's, let's undermine that and let's also elevate what it, what, you know, what it means to, to lead worship, okay? And just the, the ability it has to actually shape us, right, and help us see God and recognize just who God is. All right, good people. So what I want to do now is I actually want to go back in time a little bit in Miriam's story, okay? I'm going to read to you a little bit here from Exodus 2, 1 through 10. So now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him. And coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Okay, a lot of verses here. What I want to highlight is verse 4. And verse 4 is, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Okay? So I love the cross-references that you can do when reading the Bible. And so this particular verse is cross-referenced with Exodus 1520. So in other words, even though Miriam isn't mentioned by name, that's Miriam. That's the sister that stood at a distance to see what would happen to Moses. So Miriam's little brother is saved. She speaks up, and she's a key player in getting Moses to be a nursemaid. Okay, And not only did she get him a nursemaid, the nursemaid is Moses' mother. The attachment to a loving caregiver is something that's really important for a child to grow into a healthy and strong being, mentally and and physically. I I would even venture to say spiritually. Uh, And I know this in part, uh, because Tiana knows a lot about mental health and things like that. has a master's degree. Uh, And also, I I was talking to Vicky earlier, and she said I'd give her a shout-out as well. Vicky knows a lot about child development. All right? So... Talk, talk to them more if you have questions about that. Don't ask me. <laughs> Kick that down the road. But, but real talk, people, right? Having an attachment really matters a lot, okay? And so as I read the story of Moses from chapter 2 onwards, I can't help but think that his love for his, his people, the Hebrew people, okay, and, and a lot of who he was as a person was informed by the fact, was shaped by the fact that his mother nursed him when he was young. And Miriam, I this had to get y'all's attention, right? Miriam was a key player in that happening. Okay. I told you I was going back a little bit here. So if you go from Exodus 2 to Exodus 15, you might ask yourself, okay, well, where is Miriam exactly in the story, right, of Exodus? Noticeably absent. I didn't even pause to, like, set that up. I just wanted to get there. noticeably absent. We read about Moses and his journey, right, from him sort of going from being a prince of Egypt to Uh, becoming a deliverer of God's people, okay, leading them from slavery to freedom. We get a lot of information on him, and understandably so, right? Um, In Exodus 4, okay, we see mention of Aaron, the brother of Miriam and Moses. And from that point on, you see Moses and Aaron oftentimes they're mentioned together, all right, in terms of how um, they go before Pharaoh, right, and the plagues are described. We get the first Passover discussed. There's a crossing of the Red Sea, okay? And so even though Miriam is not in the text, we know that she's there. She's literally on the margins of the page. It, it takes a little bit of work, okay? But I wonder, and what I want you to think about is what was the Exodus story like for Miriam? I think the Prince of Egypt, the movie that I think the kids were watching in kids' church not too long ago, does a really good job of actually you know, trying to wrestle with this reality right, and tell this story in terms of, of how Miriam experienced it. I suppose my point to us is, is that while we hear a lot about Moses and Aaron, we have to realize that Miriam was there as well. She hoped for a different future for her people. And I have to think that she had to have remembered as a young child standing by the banks with her younger brother in a basket. Now all of a sudden he's like playing his role in helping liberate God's people. And so I'm imagining that as she's playing that timbrel, which by the way, I want you all to think of as like a, a tambourine, right? she got to have some rhythm and some beat. And, and so I was going to tell a story here. So I, 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 would go to black, I went to like a black church for a part of my life. And if y'all, what do, mean, what do you mean black church? So that's a sign of racism in the country, but that's another message, people. A church that was mostly black, located in the inner city, right? Um, at-risk community, so on and so forth. But I always love when people get that kind of tambourine and kind of like, and they kind of hear that organ going and kind of move and shit. So, so what I'm trying to say here. I want you all to understand what that timbrel meant, right? And so it's a joyous occasion. So what I want you all to picture, and again, I know I've said this already. I'm, I'm trying to get you to paint, I'm trying to paint this picture. Imagine the conviction with which she sang, the utter joy with which she sang. Let me remind you of the verse here before I move on, all right? She sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, He is hurled into the sea. So I want you to picture that. I want you to picture how her, right, as a young child, the role she played. And now here she is, this woman, leading people in worship. And what that must have meant for her. Ah! Okay. Some other things. All right. Thanks, JP. So, oh, Joel. That's why I call Joel JP. I, 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 I like to give people nicknames. I call Justin LP. Anyway. So i want to give context here for people at home. Who is, who is JP? Who is Chris talking to? All right. So I want to read something. How powerful is it all right, that, that today in worship, um, one of the songs was, was, was quoted from Micah 6, 8, okay? Because I found myself in Micah 6, verse 4, all right? Because I want to give you all a little bit more context here in terms of where Miriam comes up, all right? And what we read in Micah 6, 4 is, is as follows. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. So just in case you need another verse, right? (laughs) I wanted to make the point that Miriam, right, was a leader. She was mentioned in the very same breath of her more famous siblings. (sighs) Okay. Okay. Now, I also have to tell the story of Miriam. I can't just stop here. I could. I mean, I've been going on longer. i like, oh, Chris, how much longer are you going to go, man? Um, I have a few more pages. <laughs> numbers 12. If we go to Numbers 12, we can learn more about Miriam. And what we see here is Miriam being human just like all of us, right? Having flaws just like all of us. So uh, the long, let me just, I'm going to read the first two verses, and I'll, I'll give you a sense of the summary of the rest. But again, feel free to read this on your own, folks. It's really a fascinating story. So uh, essentially, right, Miriam goes to Aaron and she speaks against Moses, okay? She speaks against Moses. So verse 1, we learn Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. All right, so what happens on the heels of this is Miriam is punished by the Lord. She winds up getting leprosy. I'll come back to that in a second. But one consequence of her getting leprosy is it required her to live outside of the camp, to be away from the people. Now, for me to really give you a, a, a fuller sense of what I think this story might mean, there will be a whole other message. And again, I don't think this is the time for that, right? But what I want you all to understand is that Miriam is speaking against her brother, okay? And, and she's getting punished. And in prepping for this message, you know, I, I did some searching and people have different takes on why, on why she was punished. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to share a bit about what my thoughts are on that, okay? So when I see Miriam being punished for speaking against Moses, I really see this as a result of her being a leader who was held to account for her actions. I do not see this as her stepping out of her place or her position. There are those words again. But she was punished, I think, precisely because she was a leader. She was a prophet. She was someone held to a high standard. She was wrong to speak to her brother, about her brother. And I think that type of community, excuse me, that type of behavior, excuse me, can be corrosive to a community, especially one that was going through what Israel was going through at the time. Which again, y'all have to, y'all can read, right? But think about it, right? They're not quite, they're not in the promised land yet. And so they were in a really precarious state and so that, that was, I said corrosive, so that was what I was meaning to communicate. They could be really, really potentially dangerous, hazardous to that community. Here's my point, people. You, some, some may, all right, actually read this as her being punished, right, and the point being, right, that she was a woman who stepped out of line. And I do not think that is a proper way to read this. And maybe to reinforce this point again, we can look at how her younger brother was in fact not able to enter the promised land. Moses, that's what I mean, by the way. And I'm intentionally doing this younger brother thing. Maybe I'll come back to that later. But showing that God's punishment was not limited to Miriam. Okay, something else to to highlight from this story is that we learned about the value of Miriam to her brothers and to her people as a whole. Both Aaron and Moses intercede on her behalf. That happens late, later on in, 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 in Numbers 12. With Moses in verse, excuse me, verse 13 saying, please, God, heal her. So we learn, So in addition to that, right, which, oh, my gosh, like she spoke against her brother and he's pleading on her behalf. I think that says something about how valuable she was to both Moses and Aaron. This is my point. also, you see that the, that the people themselves did not move for the period of time that, that uh, Miriam was outside of the camp. That is, they didn't move until she was actually able to rejoin them. They didn't move on to another destination. So so in other words, folks, these, these two things to me point to her being a valued leader in the community, okay? So first, right, it was, uh, she was punished, I think, because she was a leader. And second, if we read the text, I think we actually see her as being a valued leader. It, okay, and then here's one other thing. This is where I, I told, I was talking with a little bit about this, right, and, and so. <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about this message for a few weeks now, and um, I have some thoughts here, and I do want to own up that I might be reading a little bit into it, but I at least want you to just humor me, right, and think about potentially what might be going on here. I'm, I'm fascinated by, by this, this notion. So here's what I have in mind, all right, my imagination. So I did some research on the Kushites, and it turns out the Kushites were dark-skinned people. I don't have in my notes to pause... But I, just want, I, want, I, want to, I want to sit with that for you. Oh my gosh. I don't know if y'all can see my eyebrows here. They're raised up. I don't know how well the lighting's working here. That's one of those, uh-oh. I'm like, well, I'm like wait, what? I mean, my brain's, and I texted Justin, so I was just like, I'm a slow text messenger. It's just sort of how my hands work, but boy, I'm thinking, what is going, dark skin? She's gossiping about her brother, calling the question the authority of her brother, in part because he's married to this Kushite, and what, what's one of the things I learned about Kushites? They're dark skinned, oh my goodness. Now, look, we don't know if this is why Miriam spoke against Moses. Okay, let me say that. <laughs> right? Because it turns out the Kushites were also closely linked to the Egyptians. So it could have been, ah, maybe she didn't like her because of that. Remember, where were they? Where did they escape from? Egypt? Okay, maybe. Or it could be because the Kushites were known for their military strength. And so she maybe wasn't a fan of that. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that Miriam... Gossips about another woman, all right, about about her brother, about another woman, someone else, right, a a woman who was subject to the same patriarchy that Miriam was. This person is her sister-in-law. What happens as a result is that, you know, God strikes, he punishes her, right, and, and Miriam is struck with, of all things, a skin condition. A skin condition that causes her to be ostracized. Hmm. So, look, I don't want to speculate too much, right, about why God punished her because, boy, I'm I'm going to avoid that. Brother Simmons, I'll let somebody else, somebody else can have that message, right, about why God punishes punishes people. I'm not going down that road, but but I I, I want to acknowledge it, okay? (laughs) But, look, people, what I'm wondering here is, oh, my goodness, wait a second. She's punished with a skin condition. And I'm thinking, okay, what was this like for Miriam? Again, a little bit of imagination here, but what is it like for her? I can't help but think that upon being afflicted with this condition in the seven days when Miriam is away from her people, I wonder if she thought about at all the fact that, oh, she's gossiping about someone who has darker skin, and, 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 and here she is with this skin condition that leads to her being ostracized. In, in other words, let me get to my point. I have to think and I, and I wonder if for the rest of Miriam's days she was maybe more, more compassionate, more understanding of how one's skin can impact one's lived experiences. I want us, when we think of Miriam, to not ignore her flaws, all right? But I don't want her flaws to lead us to forget that she was someone we could learn a lot from, and she's someone many of us can relate to. And and I guess what I want to say is I want us to remember Miriam's song. The one that was sung is her people celebrated God delivering them. I don't expect you all to remember everything about what I said when the last time I talked. It might have even been it was last Advent or something. I think I talked to Mary. But um, if you know me and we talk about music at all, you, you'll likely hear me say that I'm a fan of, of EWF. Look, I I'm trying to speak inside language. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, and Wind is what we called them growing up. All right? And they have lots of songs, okay? And one of my songs, one of the songs that they like, one of the many songs that I like by them is, is Sing a Song. And I'm not, I, I, I probably, I, maybe I should try to sing. I'm not gonna sing, no, I'm not quite there yet, but that is, the words are, so when you feel down and out, sing a song, it'll make you glad. And I mean, the beat is just amazing. You should look it up. I don't have the, the, I can't sing as high as, I think it's Phillip Bailey's brother that had that, boy, he could sing so high. Anyway, we're moving towards the application, people, it, it just as a heads up, okay? So what I'm wondering, all right, Think about this idea of a song, right think about Miriam and, 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 and us thinking about her and her song that, that she leads she leads her people in worship in right so I, my question for us all right question for you is what is your song so not your song, that's, that, that, let me, so I grew up in the 90s, that's my song, that's my jam, right? Oh, my, that's my, and I have too many of those. I mean, you can ask my family, say like every other song, oh, I love that song. And I'm trying to sing it off key. Yes, Kaya, I see you waving your hand. She knows, Kaya can attest. Um, I have too many songs that I like, right? Um, but what I'm asking about is different, right? And maybe even emphasizing the your, maybe that's what, how you all can think about that is, right? what is your story about how God has been present with you? Walked alongside of you in the darkest valleys. What is your song? Uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time with, uh, with cousins. And one of my cousins, who were about, about a year and a half apart in age, actually closer to two years, um, he's really in the rap. And in fact, I, I see that he still is, is in the rap, um, or the rap game, as we, we would call it back in the day. Um, and so it was funny, at one point, and this is probably more hubris than talent, as you all will see in a second. I thought, I could give it a try, why not? So I'm in high school, and I, and I, wrote, I wrote a rap song. <laughs> Thank goodness that, boy, just social media wasn't around, because I'd be in trouble. But anyway, um, this is the era of, of, of floppy disks. For those of you who like professional wrestling, the attitude era, so the rock and Stone Cold, and all that type of stuff. Um, and I was really into wrestling at that point. Uh, and then Y2K was a thing. Y'all can Google that if you have no idea what I mean. See, I just look at that. See, I know y'all. Yeah, Y2K, remember that? So anyway, around this time, right, I, I wrote a, a rap song, and I still recall the opening, okay? Oh, boy, this is being recorded, isn't it? I'll, I'll go down the road. Why not? So it's, um, so it's ring, ring, sit down, kids, meet me, the professor, key to my success increasing God, making me lesser, new to this rap game, but without profanity. And I forget the next line. I wish I did. But anyway, that's the first part. But I kind of like that first part, right? Oh, you all are much too kind. But okay. Um, and then at the end, I remember this line. The guy's like, oh, Pops, you're embarrassing me. So the last line is, look at me the best, the apex, the rest, LBC level at best. You heard me? And that, you know, kind of have to pose, right? Because it was the 90s, right? And, and don't worry, by the way, I won't quit my day job, right? Because gosh, we, we might be on the street if you're all relying on my rap game, right? So I, I won't do that, um, but in all seriousness, folks, I, um, I look back on those lines that I penned decades ago, right? As a teenage black male in a lower middle class home, just a few years out from the divorce of my parents, having spent the first nine years of my life going to a school district that eventually lost his accreditation, so that quote-unquote at-risk youth, on the other side of the tracks, I think I gave that speech, I talked about that before in a, in a previous sermon, but didn't grow up with a silver spoon, far from it. And so I think about that. And I think about, right, penning those lines about being a professor at that time. And now look at where I am now on this stage with the privilege of talking to you all about Miriam. Uh, oh, and I'm a professor at UNC, I should say that, right? So I actually, that, which is wild, right? So I, I worked there. It's, it's, so that, that's actually come true. I, should, I probably should say that. shouldn't I? Make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, watching my oldest daughter help lead us in worship. On the same Sunday where we're talking about a woman who led her people in worship upon the hills of this incredible event of God's presence and deliverance, right, of, of them. And I look at my family and my friends, the opportunities that are afforded to me, how I get to spend my time. I look at, right, the peaks and valleys, and, and I guess what I wanna to say to you all is, you know, I, I too feel compelled to respond with, with joy, to, to sing a song. There's, there's an overwhelming sense of gratitude of being grateful to God for bringing me to this place. And so that's just a little bit of my story of my song, right? And what I want you all to think about, just to remind you this application piece, right, is, is what is your song? One more thing, and Brother Simmons, you can make your way up here, or Justin, you can make your way up here. This is like the transition to, to communion. One more thing to think about, um, because I, I find it helpful to connect Miriam to the, to the New Testament, okay? It turns out that Miriam's name is an older form of Mary. Okay, so when I heard, I mean, my if know, I was just like, oh, I mean, my brain was just an over, I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh are you kidding me? Like, Wow, i thought a lot about Mary's song, Magnificat, and so on and so forth. So I'm thinking, oh, these connections are just amazing, right? Ah, I just find it so intriguing. You know, When I read the Bible and I see how these things, these things connect. Um, wow. <laughs> so what are a couple of things to note here? Are they both known for songs? Okay. Both known for songs. Uh, Miriam looked out for one of the most important figures in the Old Testament, okay? (laughs) Told you the story in Exodus 2, Moses, who God used to deliver the Israelites. Mary delivered the deliverer, Jesus, who delivers the world. Neither is the central character, and yet, in both instances, the story cannot be told or at least told well without them. So Miriam, singer, leader, prophetess. Miriam, the matriarch of our faith.
1: Father, we are in awe of the way that your story of deliverance and redemption has come through the ages, and to reflect on the person, the prophet of Miriam, for whom without we would not have your servant Moses. that the story of deliverance flows through pointing every step of the way to your intent for redemption of each and every one of us. And you meet with us in that story over and over again each time we read it, Lord, it comes to life and so for each of us today. As Chris brought to light for us, again, you are wanting to meet with us. You are present with us in every breath we take. In every day of our lives, not Sunday alone, not Monday alone, not Tuesday, every single day You are as close as our breath. And so as we come to commune with you at your table, will you continue writing that story? That we might sing the song of deliverance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm. Every single week, we get the opportunity to come to his table, right? It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. And he invites all of us to his table. That we might experience his presence that isn't just in this moment, but it is with us every single day that we taste and we see the goodness of God and that flavor lingers with us we're reminded that his body it was broken for us that he would give his whole life for our deliverance our redemption And that his blood would be poured out for us. And for the forgiveness of sin. For you and for me. And So today you are invited to come. And as you come, our servers will tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. Then you can dip it in the cup. As you taste, reflect on the story that has been written in your life. The story that is being written here and now. And the story that is to come. The story of true freedom found in Christ alone. So Holy Spirit, come. Pour out out your Spirit on these gifts of the bread and the cup, that they may be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We invite you to come, and if you need a gluten-free option, that is available at the table as well.